and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha. And I don't know about you, Courtney, but I could sure go for a nice little tiffin right now. A tiffin. I don't know what that is, but it sounds nice. A light snack. Oh, I can always go for a light snack. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry. Mm, I haven't too. eaten since breakfast and it's like three. Oh, yeah. You should probably eat something. <sighs> I've got crock pot, but it's not ready for three more, three more hours. But yes, a light little snack. Maybe after we're done recording. Hillside Strangler Part 5. Woo. This is our longest one ever. It is. There's just, there was two of them. There's two. So there's so much to say. Yeah. So um, I'm excited for the ending of this one because I feel... Um, like this one almost slipped away and could have gone real bad. That's definitely true. But it didn't. It didn't. Yes. Woo. So, uh, but before we get into that, Courtney, what's your question? So I decided to go for a little lighthearted today. Yay. So this is a, a nice would you rather. Okay. So if you had to be on some type of reality show, would you rather be on a reality survival show? Or a reality dating show. Now, are we talking like survival show like Alone? Or are we talking survival show like Survivor? Up to you. Have you seen Alone? I have. Okay. Because I couldn't do that. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I mean, maybe like two days, but mm-hmm. that's it. Okay. Let's call it Survivor. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think I could do Survivor. Yeah. I would rather do that than the dating show. I don't like watching the dating shows, but I do like watching the Survivor shows. Um, and I think unless I got like um, some severe allergic reaction to something mm. on Survivor, I think I could go a decently good distance. Mm. All right. Yeah. What about you? I think it would really depend on where the Survivor show is happening. Mm-hmm. If it's somewhere that's like warm... Survivor show all the way. Sure. If it's somewhere where it gets real cold and I might get hypothermia, put me on a dating show and in a sparkly dress. So we're keeping you away from alone as well. Yes. Because that's always some. They always somewhere cold. It's true. Yeah. I don't want to be in Alaska. Yeah. I don't want to be in Canada. Sorry, yeah. Canada. You know. It's an amazing show, though. It is. I love that show. It is. I mean, I have so much respect for those people yeah. that can do it. I don't have those skills. I mean, but. yeah, and I don't. I don't think that I would, you know, I know the premise of alone is like part of it is they just can't stand being alone. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that would be a problem for me. Yeah, me either. So it would be more like not being able to feed myself. Exactly. Warm that would get me to go home. Right. I think. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So. But if I had to like keep myself warm and, you know, completely be dependent on feeding myself. I would probably fail at that. So at that point, probably, like, yeah, put me on The Bachelor or something. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you have to kill your own food on that show. And I don't, I mean, I guess if you were starving, you would. I could fish. I fish. But when they kill the little squirrels. Mm. And I remember one episode where she killed a squirrel and, like, its mate was out there and was, like, screaming at her for killing the squirrel. And then I just got really verklempt. And it was sad. It is sad. But, okay, well. Anyway, good question. Thanks. Okay, so um, quick recap before we finish up today. Yeah. So last week was all about the L.A. Hillside Strangler murders. So we heard about how Kenny and Angelo started off impulsively, 
um, killing a sex worker in their car and then worked up to killing more and more women of various types and at various times of day, including broad daylight kidnapping mm-hmm. and kids as young as 12. And then eventually, Kenny got too annoying for Angelo's taste, got too reckless, and Kenny was essentially shipped off to Bellingham, Washington to get out of Angelo's hair, but under the premise of wanting to be with his newly estranged girlfriend and his newborn son. Good riddance. Angelo wanted him gone, and I don't blame him. I don't either. He was definitely going to get them caught had he stayed there. Yes. Um, so, Kenny is now settled into a little house with Kelly and their new son, Ryan, in Bellingham. So, Courtney, you grew up near there, right? I did. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that area? Yeah. So, I mean, it's grown a lot since the 70s um, when Kenny was there. But it's um, it's a fairly small city. I think currently it's got about 100,000 people or so. Back in the 70s, it was more like 40,000. 40,000 in the book, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's really beautiful up there. It's surrounded by forests, and it's right on the water. And, you know, there's Mount Baker right there in the background. Um, so it's a very beautiful place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go sometime. You're welcome to. Come stay at my parents' house with me. Let's do it. Because I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure I've driven through there. I mean, I've gone to Canada, mm-hmm. you know, but I was a kid. Right. So yeah. I don't really remember it. If you passed through at like the, the main Peace Arch Gate, then you probably drove through Bellingham. But yeah, I don't remember. It's mm-hmm. been so long. Um, Kenny got a job as a security guard at Fred Meyer, which is a Northwest store, uh, but it's affiliated with like Kroger brands. Here he flourished both as a thief. So he was thieving while doing this, but he was also catching thieves. So he did really good. At, he did so well, in fact, that he was offered a different job with an outside security company that put in alarm systems. Was it BTK that had a job similar to that one? I can't remember if it was him or not. Somebody put I in alarms. I know for the phone company. Maybe it was Gary Ridgeway. Someone put no, in alarms. Someone did put in alarms. Oh, snap. I can't remember which one it was. Could have been BTK. It's one of those two, I swear. If anyone else knows, please let us know because I've forgotten. I can't keep all of these assholes straight. I know. (laughs) All right. Anyways, while this was going on, the local police force also accepted his application for a reserve job. And he started to take up classes for, you know, this desired position. So one would think that all of these things would make Kenny happy. But of course, it didn't. He was bored. Bellingham was a small town after all. I mean, compared to Los Angeles anyways. And he missed Angelo a lot. He was having obsessive thoughts about him, in fact. This is from a a quote from the book. Quote, Kenny longed for Angelo like a lover scorned, and as the days of the year began to shorten, bringing long northern nights and the steady rains of the Washington autumn and winter, Angelo came to haunt Kenny's thoughts more and more. He found himself thinking of Angelo day and night, images of strength and anger, Angelo grabbing onto some girl with his big hands, Angelo grinning, Angelo erect, Angelo taking what he wanted in front and behind, Angelo fingering a gun or deftly manipulating a a roll of twine, Angelo a magnet to girls, Angelo looking on him, his own cousin with scorn. Courtney, what do you think is going on here? I mean, first of all, I think we're seeing some of Kenny's attachment issues popping up again. 
you know, if we remember back to episode two, um, we talked about how Kenny could be especially sensitive to rejection and abandonment due to his being adopted and losing his adoptive father at a young age. And so, you know, Kenny seemed to view Angelo as a sort of mentor or father figure, particularly when it came to, you know, his knowledge about women and then eventually learning about rape and murder. And now, you know, he finds himself rejected and abandoned by a parental figure again, um, by Angelo this time. And since that figure was, you know, tied to his, you know, memories and experiences with sex, it was all jumbled and mixed together and a bunch of, you know, mixed feelings about the whole relationship. Yeah. Uh, Well, Kenny was no longer attracted to Kelly. At home, the two basically ignored each other. Kenny was diving deep into his psychology books and was particularly particularly fascinated by hypnosis. He was also trying to cheer himself up through chronic masturbation and by stepping out on Kelly. Now, at this point in time, it's possible that Kenny and Angelo could have gotten away with all the murders in L.A. It seemed that Angelo wasn't doing anything further to garner attention to himself, and Kenny was gone. But Kenny just couldn't leave well enough alone. He craved the feeling he had when he was murdering women with Angelo, so he decided he could go do it on his own. Using the knowledge gained from his current job, he knew who would and who would not be home. He decided to reach out a woman he knew from his days at Fred Meyer. He called her residence and left a message for Karen to, uh, to call her back, left it with her roommate. So when Karen called him back, he told her that he needed a house sitter for one of the houses he was working on. It would pay her 100 bucks for the night. And he suggested she bring her roommate with her, but don't tell anyone in town where she was going because the owners of the house were sketchy of too many people knowing they were out of town. When the girls arrived the next night, Kenny coaxed Karen in um, with him first to go check the basement. As soon as she was down there, he strangled her with a cord. He then went back upstairs to get Diane, that was her roommate. Once inside, he threw her down the stairs, then strangled her as well. After he was done killing them, he realized he just wasn't aroused. He made himself ejaculate, maybe as a part of some ritual he convinced himself, you know, that it was necessary. He did just kill two women after all. He then dragged them up the stairs and into Karen's car. He drove to the car to a cul-de-sac and then left it there. So that was the end for Kenny. Uh, he got picked up the next day, the next day for this double homicide. So remember, he left his real name with the roommate when he left a message for Karen. That name was written down on a piece of paper at their residence. Also, Karen told her boyfriend where she was going and that she was going to house it and that it was a favor to Kenny. Courtney, Kenny got really, really sloppy here, wouldn't you say? I mean, Angela would have smacked the shit out of him if it had been in L.A. What do you think? Yeah, Kenny was certainly sloppy and impulsive and cocky. You know, between his youth and some antisocial personality disorder, his ADHD, you know, along with having gotten away with the murders down in L.A., Kenny was probably feeling pretty invincible. You know, it it just kind of goes to show how important Angelo was to their, quote, success as a serial killing pair. Yeah. When the cops searched Kenny's house, they found obviously stolen merchandise, so they also added stealing as a charge to be sure that they could keep him for a while. They also discovered he was from California. They found his um, driver's license. So they called L.A. to let them know what occurred. Frank Salerno, one of the detectives on the cases, along with Bob Bob Grogan, you know, Frank Salerno was the one that would later go on to catch Richard Ramirez. 
Yes, I remember the name. Yep. Uh, Well, they recognized where Kenny's Bianchi's address was and that it was very close to where some of the victims of the Hillside Strangler had lived. And Salerno decided to go to Washington to pay Kenny a visit. So Kenny explained that he lived in L.A. with a cousin, Angelo Buono. So Grogan decided to keep an eye on Angelo during this time. Kenny was claiming to be innocent of the murders in Washington, as well as those in L.A. So Sabra and Becky were somehow linked to Angelo in L.A. I'm not really sure how, but they figured it out. And the detectives interviewed them. They told the detectives about their experiences with Angelo and Kenny. And the, the case really started to take off from there. So Angelo and Sabra were both pimped out by Kenny and Angelo just to remind everyone. Um, The police questioned Angelo on if he had ever run a prostitution ring. Angelo claimed that Kenny might have done so, but he didn't partake in that. Even though it had been running out of his house, he had nothing to do with it. Um, They soon brought Angelo in for questioning. The detectives did not like Angelo. Not at all. They thought he was, quote, slimy, and they could not understand how he was such a stud. So it turns out that Sergeant Grogan had a girlfriend while he was working the case, and apparently her curiosity got the better of her at one point. So prior to being to Angelo being brought in officially, she had gone to his shop and pretended to be a customer. Here's the conversation between Grogan and his girlfriend um, after she went to the shop and told him about it. Courtney, will you play the girlfriend? Sure thing. Okay. So I'm Grogan. <laughs> you didn't go over there. Yes, I did. You must be out of your mind. I pretended I needed some upholstery work done in my car. You talked to him? He was talking to some other customers. They must have been. He gave me a look. I'll never forget it. He looked right through me. I must have been standing about ten feet from him. If I hadn't known who he was... Yeah, you what? I might have taken my clothes off right there. No kidding, this guy is magnetic. Insane. Yikes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he we know he wasn't attractive, but he, he had, had that magnetism. That, mm-hmm, that charm, mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So, anyways, um, Grogan was pissed off that she did that. <laughs> I don't think she cared. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Washington State, Kenny was proclaiming that he had lost time. He had amnesia. What if he killed these poor women and he couldn't remember? Oh, and he was also suicidal. He wanted to end it, you know, end it all. This actually worried his attorney who brought in a psychiatric social worker to work with Kenny. Oh, man, did Kenny lay it on thick with this guy? He went the route of the perfect citizen, loving his family, wanting to find religion again, grieving over the death of his father, claiming to love his small town life in Washington, how, how devoted he was to Kelly and his son, yada, yada, yada. If only he could remember... Well, his bullshit act work worked. The social worker bought it. What if Kenny suffered from alter personalities? What if, in fact, he had multiple personality disorder, now known as dissociative identity disorder? Well, that would explain everything. His alter must have killed these women because the real Kenny is such a sweet and kind-hearted man. Courtney, let's give a brief rundown, and by we, let's, I mean you, of DID. Mm-hmm. As we will see that Kenny really plays toward this angle um, and with more success than others that we've seen so far. So dissociative identity disorder can occur when a person, usually as a child, experiences severe and prolonged trauma. Um, And as a way to cope with this trauma, the brain essentially splits into different parts in order to protect the main or core personality. 
these different parts or altars, as they're called, um, are distinct and can vary in regard to age, gender, likes, dislikes, abilities, and even at times medical issues. Like, for example, sometimes one altar will need glasses, even if the core doesn't. Um, Things like that. Um, You know, most people with DID have at least three altars, um, but often they have more than that. The main personality and altars may or may not be aware of each other. Um, Most often, at least in the beginning, unless there's been a lot of treatment or things like that, the the core personality doesn't know about the altars. Um, And so it is common for a person who's unaware of the other alters to report blackouts or missing time where they have no memory of what's occurred. Um, it is rare for different parts to like switch on command. Like if a therapist or a doctor asked to talk to a specific one, that doesn't, it's not usually how it works. Okay. So the next professional that was called in to analyze Kenny was Dr. Donald Lund who was a supposed expert in this field. As luck would have it for Kenny, two days before the scheduled interview with his doctor, the movie Sybil was playing on the jailhouse TV. How ironic that a breakdown of a woman with many different personalities and how they manifested and how she was cured should play right before the interview. Not one time, but two times. So remember, Kenny also studied many psychology books due to his bogus practice scam he had running at one point. This was also during the 70s, where it seemed like multiple personalities was a diagnosis that psychiatrists were trying to prove and not trying to rule out. Quote from the book, Kenny watched Sybil with all the intensity of a college student cramming for a final examination. He noted that as the mystery of Sybil's illness unfolded, tremendous emphasis was placed on the role of early childhood traumas. End quote. He noted that Sybil would suffer headaches and nightmares, and he would be sure to have both of these symptoms. Dr. Lund, however, did not try to find alter personalities. He suggested that a drug cocktail or hypnosis be given to Kenny to jog his memories of the Bellingham murders. Kenny knew about hypnosis as well. He knew that you can't be hypnotized against your will despite what the media may portray. Hypnosis is simply following suggestions of the inductor into a somnambulistic state. Um, You know, what do you say, what you do or say under hypnosis is all in your control. Hypnosis has been proven useful in helping witnesses remember details about something they may not recall in a waking state, but it's usually not admissible in the courts. It's more like a tool to help put cases together, and it has been used for a long time. Um, So this doctor didn't do what Kenny wanted, but he suggested that maybe hypnosis would help him remember what happened but didn't suggest anything about personalities at this point right so the next expert brought in to interview kenny was dr john watkins after an interview with kenny he decided they should try a hypnotic induction kenny agreed and they began the doctor was the one who proposed to kenny that he may have an altar so he planted the suggestion I don't think Kenny was actually hypnotized since it appears that he was, you know, scheming this whole time. But the suggestion was all Kenny needed to grab onto, and he did. He created for the doctor a nasty, evil Kenny who was capable of murder. This new part of Kenny was named Steve. Steve apparently hated Kenny, who was just too nice. These interviews can be found on YouTube or the documentaries, by the way, um, if you guys want to watch them for yourself. Steve also claimed that Ken walked in on his cousin, Angelo, killing a girl. So there we have it right there. Kenny throwing Angelo under the bus for the hillside murders. Well, you know, it wasn't Kenny. It was Steve 
who was throwing, you know, Angelo under the bus. Steve also told the doctor that eventually he made Kenny join Angelo. Why would Kenny want to kill these women? Or rather, why would Steve? Well, that was easy. Quote, he thought it was his mother, and he thought it was people he hated. So Steve also would not let Kenny remembered he had killed anyone. You know, how convenient. Kenny would slip up occasionally. He would say, Kenny hated women or something like that, then quickly change it to, I mean, I hate women. Remember, Kenny's the good guy. He doesn't hate anyone. Anyways, I'm sure because the doctor was so eager to believe that he had DID, he didn't notice these slip-ups or he justified it in some way. Regardless, he bought it. Kenny Bianchi had an evil alter and his alter committed the crimes, not Kenny. After he was brought out of his hypnotic state, Kenny could not remember Steve talking for him. Courtney, you've dealt with a few people with DID. Does this ring true in any way? I mean, say the alter is who shows up at therapy. Is it typical for the core personality to not be aware of that meeting? Um, I mean, you kind of just went over that a little bit, but this is just, you know, fascinating. And I realize you don't have a ton of experience with it, but I'm sure anything you share would be of interest to the audience. Yeah, I do have very limited experience in this area and that I've only worked really with one client that I've genuinely believe had DID. Um, so I'm not an expert um, and want to be clear that I'm not claiming to be an expert on this. Um, but in my experience, um, it is true that most core personalities do not have a memory of what their alters have done or said. Um, and so that detail tracks. But other things about his presentation don't, particularly switching from first and third person when talking Right. And saying that, you know, Angelo makes Kenny do things or um, even that Steve makes Kenny do things. You know, if Steve was real and was the personality in control during the murders, he would have been the one doing the things. It wasn't him making Kenny. It was him. Mm -hmm. Um, And if he was a, quote, you know, the evil alter, he would have engaged willingly and probably with pleasure. That makes sense. Uh, Dr. Allison came next, another expert in multiples. Kenny was able to fool him, too. He even did things like rip the filter off a cigarette as Steve, and when he was Kenny again, claimed that he never smoked without a filter. He started a journal, which he put in all kinds of things that would cooperate his story. He told of his nightmares, quote, you know, nightmares. He would write in different handwriting, depending on who was supposed to be, you know, him while under hypnosis or in his journal. Things were not looking good for the detectives at this point because they wanted a guilty verdict for Kenny, but he was fooling all of these doctors into believing he, you know, had multiple personalities. So um, that all changed, though, when Dr. Martin Orn stepped in, and his field of expertise was knowing if someone is faking hypnosis. This is important because Kenny's alters only came out while he was hypnotized. Right. Supposedly. All right, so this is dragging on. Um, This doctor recommended that Kenny was faking hypnosis based on several observations. Um, You can get into this by reading the book. After all of these interviews with these multiple doctors, a bunch of them thought that he should be found not guilty by reason of insanity, and then a few of them found him to be sane. So it was kind of like a split thing going on. Okay, so basically, um, all these doctors, they couldn't agree. So... um, Eventually, Kenny would enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, okay? So he's going on trial with that as his plea. 
Meanwhile, while this trial was, was taking place, he had been corresponding with Veronica Compton, a woman that you know reached out to him while he was in jail, and they got pretty close, and Kenny convinced her um, to do something for him. Kenny convinced her that to abduct a woman and strangle and kill the woman in the style that he was being accused of so that it could prove that they arrested the wrong man. Because, you know, if Kenny was in there, you know, and then someone else killed someone, it, it couldn't be him because he was in jail when it happened. Right. Um, so, and then another um, brilliant idea on Kenny's behalf was that, well, you know, maybe they should get some sort of semen involved. So she went to the jail and he had a tip of a rubber glove like a medical rubber glove and he had filled it with his semen tied it off stuck it in a book and gave it to her and she left with it because back then the dna typing thing wasn't a thing it was more just like are you a secretor or not a secretor so anyhow she she attempted to go through with this plan um she lured a woman to a rented hotel room and she attacked the woman she started to strangle her but the woman freed herself and ran off uh it took very little time before Veronica was arrested. She was also linked to Kevin or Kenny um, through the, vi- the prison visitation records. And eventually she'd be convicted of first degree attempted murder. And she was sentenced to life in prison with the pros- possibility of parole. And she was released in 2003. So she was in there for a long time. She was also interviewed in the documentary we watched. Yes. Okay. Um, did that make sense how I explained what, what she did? It did. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I would guess that, you know, Veronica was experiencing the hybristophilia, which is a paraphilia where a person is sexually attracted to a person who commits outrageous acts, which are mostly criminals. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit back in our episode mm-hmm. about Richard Ramirez, um, as it's often seen in people who are obsessive fans of, um, for serial killers. It's a bizarre phenomenon. It is. And I kind of feel bad for the women or men, I suppose, that have it because I don't see happiness in their future. Not usually. Yeah. Okay. Back to Kenny and the trial after that failed attempt. (laughs) Uh, The trial wasn't going great for Kenny. Uh, His faking his mental illness was being highlighted, and it looked like he did fake hypnosis, and he was faking the altars. So the... um, the prosecuting team or whatever was was proving their point enough so that he eventually agreed to plead guilty um, to avoid the death penalty. But he also had to testify against Angelo for this deal to to work. So he was found guilty uh, and he was given life with the possibility of parole. And he was to ter- he was to serve his time in Washington state. So one crisis averted. Kenny was going to jail. Yes. It was close, though. All right, so now back to Angelo. Unlike Kenny, Angelo was quiet. He never admitted he did anything. He did not try to fake a mental illness or any of that. He just claimed he was innocent. Now, we have to remember that there really wasn't any evidence against Angelo besides his cousin claiming to have participated in the acts with Angelo. You know, Angelo was very clean. Nothing was found in his house. You know, most of all the evidence... um, was was Kenny's testimony. Um, everything else was pretty circumstantial. They did find a fiber that could have been a match to something in Angelo's shop, but it, again, it, it could have been from somewhere else, right? So it was basically Kenny saying Angelo did this. Now, we had the witnesses like Sabra and Becky um, who could attest to what he did to them, but that wasn't murder. 
Right. So um, anyhow. So in fact, at one point, because Kenny was such an unreliable witness and was the only, you know, real person who could help Angelo be put away, the DA office decided to drop the charges against Angelo. So the DA figured there was no way they could win the case. Courtney, this is so frustrating. They caught the guy. They caught Angelo. But the DA was going to not even try to take a trial because they feared they couldn't win. And it was speculated that politics were at play here. You know, like how that goes, like he was up for re-election or whatever, and it wouldn't look good to have this on your record. Right, to have a big loss like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So why not even try and just let a murderer go? Potential murderer go. Whatever. So... That almost happened, but someone steps in and saves the day. The Honorable Judge Ronald George refused to let Angelo go. He said if the DA refused to try the case, he would hand it over to the state attorney general office and they could try it. Crazy, right? I've never heard of this before. Me either. So, um, yeah, that's what happened. Angelo Buono's case would become the longest trial in American history, lasting two years. But eventually he was found guilty on nine counts of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole. But don't worry, he doesn't get paroled. He died in 2002 of a heart attack. Kenny is still in the Washington State Penitentiary, and he is now 71 years old. Courtney? I am just glad that eventually somebody saw through Kenny's BS and recognized that he was lying about pretty much his entire life. Um And, you know, it's almost disappointing to me that Kenneth Bianchi is the one who got all the attention in this case, Um, as I think that Angelo was maybe the more interesting and the more dangerous of the two. Mm -hmm. But, say la vie. I agree. Um, I think Kenny was maybe more willing to get his hands dirty, so to speak, and more eager. But Angelo obviously was the more street smart savvy of the two, the more deceptive of the two. I think he could have gotten away with doing a lot more if he had just been on his own. Definitely. Um, But again, he might not have done anything on his own because it seems like it was the two of them together that actually made it happen. Exactly. And as far as we know, there weren't any um, murders that Angelo did after Kenny left or before. Right. As far as we know. Um, you know, if you watch the four-part documentary that we watched, Angelo's defense team claims that they still believe he was innocent because, again, it was just Kenny's word basically against, you know, Angelo. But the jury found him guilty. Right. It did take a lot of de- deliberation. It did. I think we deliberated a long time. They did. Um, but anyhow, that's the end of the Hillside Strangler. Z- Woohoo. And... um you know, it's really scary because people who pose at police officers, I mean, ugh. Yeah. I think nowadays their tactics would not fly. Right. You know, there's much more, I guess, like known of the general public mm-hmm. about like the rules of policing and what police are allowed to do and not do. And right. That it is possible for someone to fake being a police officer. I'm sure we'll find a serial killer that actually was a police officer at some point. Oh, there's, I mean, the Golden State Killer. Oh. I listened to a whole thing on that. Did he? But did he pose as a police officer to kill his victims? That's what I mean. Oh, he didn't pose as a police officer. He worked for the But police. I mean, like, did he go 
while he was on duty in his police outfit and like that's how he got victims? I don't think so. Okay. That's where I'm that's where I'm going. I'm sure oh, there's gotta be got someone it. like that out there. At oh, some I'm point. sure. That would be mm-hmm. yeah. Um okay, well anyways, do you wanna give a little blip about our next case? Yeah, so I chose our next one. Um and I would just say um, so he is a little bit foreign. He's from our neighbors to the north up in Canada. And this case made a pretty big splash up there, but we didn't really hear much about it at all down here in the States. So. As per usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, uh, we're apparently self-centered about our own serial killers. Or maybe it's just that we have so many. Right. Yeah, maybe. We just don't hear about the other ones in the other countries, but it's pretty neat when we do. So... All right, Courtney, what do we do when two men in a Cadillac with fake batches ask you to get in their car? Go nuts, go home, and go to therapy. That's right. All right, everyone, be safe. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.